Well, then Happy New Year, and thanks for the happy birthday. I really appreciate that. Uh, you know, you may not know Pastor Lash and I have been friends for, oh, gee, 16, 17 years. We pastored our first churches together in the Austin area. Uh, well, I say not together, two different churches, but that's where we became friends. And uh, he really surprised me this year. He was, we were having lunch. He said, I got a great birthday present for you, Vince. I said, what is it? Will you preach for me on Sunday morning, New Year's Day, your birthday? And I was like, awesome. Uh, I love preaching God's word. And, and I, I don't mean that uh, sarcastically. I'm really excited to be here with you and to be able to bring a message about missions is what Pastor Lash asked me to bring. And, and I want to say thank you as, as my home church. And I'm not here very often, so there's a few new faces that may not know this is actually my home church. I'm one of the worst members or best members, depending on how you how you see it. My tithe check comes in, and I'm not ever here to take care of. So that's uh, that was a joke, but anyhow. <laughs> uh, thank you for supporting Colin Babs Association. I lead three other missionaries, and we have more than 130 churches here in the Collin County with a million souls. Uh, now, uh, roughly a million that live and call Collin County home. And it's my great privilege to be your missionary and to lead those men and women as, as we continue to uh, start new churches and strengthen the churches we have and identify the new people groups to reach. So thank you for your, your financial support and your, your prayer support and your love. Um, it's just a great honor and privilege to serve our Lord Jesus Christ and to serve you uh, in that capacity. So the message this morning is Mission Mandate mission movements. And, you know, that word mandate's been bantered around a lot. It, it being a political season that just passed, and I saw more than 20 articles talking about the tension that might be present in the homes, even talking about politics. So instead of talking about those kind of politics, let's talk about the ones that matter. The, you know, politics, the king of the kingdom of God. Because that's really what mission is about. You know, and, and the idea of mission, usually when we say it in church, people automatically jump over overseas, and we saw a great great mission, a message, a video, about our mission work overseas that we financially support. Please do give to Lottie Moon and, and to Annie Armstrong in the Easter season, and, and uh, Colin Baptist is supported through your, your uh, monthly giving here, our work. But missions is not just overseas. Mission starts next door. And mission has been around... Did, did you know the idea of God's mission, that's missio Dei, to use the Latin, has been around before he ever created the church? Many churches don't understand that. We, we think that we uh, organize the church, and we have the church, and we have worship, and, and missions is a component, but this mission of God, it, it shows up all the way back in Genesis. With the fall of man, you may, hopefully you're familiar with the story of the Garden of Eden, where man, Adam and Eve, they sinned against God. And in Genesis 3.15, we see what they call the, the first statement of evangelism of God's plan. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his hill. That's Genesis 3.15. I've always kept Genesis 3.15 and John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Those are... A whole lot of history in between those two verses in the Bible. But see, you see that thread throughout the Bible, and it goes on all the way through Revelation, that God has a mission to reconcile sinners to himself, that he would desire that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. That's God's plan. That's his mission. So when we talk about missio, mission, uh, that is the whole function 
of the church. We, we come together on Sunday morning to celebrate that we have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, and that he's called each and every one of us to be a missionary. I'm not the only missionary in this church. Every believer in this church is supposed to be a missionary. And he may have you being a missionary where you live, work, and play here. And he may even this very moment be calling you to go overseas, like we saw in those videos, to places where it is not safe. Where to come together to worship, you might die that day. Any given year in in recent history, there's 100,000 people that die for worshiping God in, in the name of Jesus Christ. There's more martyrs now than there ever have been. And so we, we look at this mission mandate, and this morning I'm also going to share with you a little bit about how, what is happening in this world of mission, uh, as we're, what is it that God's up to these days? Well, we fast forward from Genesis 3.15 to Acts 1.8. These are the last words that Jesus spoke. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Kind of what, We'll be in Acts the rest of the morning together. I'll be in a couple of places there in Acts. This first, I'm going to back up to verse 7 and and just read God's word. This is Jesus speaking uh, at this point. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and the cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. Well, this scene is Jesus' last moments on earth is what we find in this passage of scripture. In fact, these were his last words that he spoke while here on earth. And, you know, last words are important words, right? I mean, this was his final charge. Now, an interesting thing, there was about uh, 40 days from the uh, resurrection to the ascension. And if you go back and look, it will, it will say that what was he teaching all these disciples about in that period of time? I mean, he'd been with them three years before, and then you have this section of time between the resurrection and the ascension, and he was teaching them about the kingdom of God and its purposes. And here we see his instruction. And, and a mandate by the way, isn't the one that, it has a couple of nuanced definitions. The mandate that we find here in this passage is different than the one that our politicians would talk about. This is a mandate from a ruler, a king, where we have no choice if we call him Lord, but to do what he asks us to do. That's what it means to be obedient to Christ, right? And he says very plainly, his last words on earth... That it's not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's his command. That's his mandate. Now, we see this mission mandate in other places, like the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, and following. We, we've heard those words. If you've been in church, you're familiar with them. But this particular statement is so powerful because it gives us a plan to follow. What is it he wants us to do in this great mission work? Now it's Cowboys season, and we, boy, what a team we've got this year, right? Now I, I want to try to put you in the place of, of those disciples here at this moment, and, 
And I wish I could claim all this imagery for myself. I, I, one of our church planters uh, in Las Vegas, I heard him put it this way of what I'm about to share with you. But he said, imagine they're in the huddle. And, and Dak Prescott's in there. And he, he calls the play. And he says, this is what I want you to run. And then he just walks off the field. That's really what's happening here. Jesus gets them all huddled up and says, here's my last words to you. Here's how I want you to win this game. Now, this game in, in here has far higher stakes than any Super Bowl will ever have, right? Because this is the whole balance of a person's soul for eternity. This is the balance of the world. This is God's plan to see the world reconciled to himself. And Jesus said, here it is. I'm going to give you power, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's important because, you know, I've been pastoring 20-plus years, and I've been teaching evangelism that long, and there's two, two sure ways to clear a room. Uh, after church, if I said, everybody wants to stay and be trained in personal evangelism, or, and the second is, oh, we're going to have a prayer meeting. Now, isn't that a shame? And, but your, laugh, your, your nervous laughter says, you know, unfortunately, that's kind of the truth these days, isn't it? All right. Jesus says here, okay, here's, here's my plan. I've, I'm going to give you the power to do this. this. This is the good news about evangelism, about witnessing, about mission, is, is God's given us his own power to do it through us. We don't have to do it. And where our fear comes from, by the way, I've learned, is that we think that it depends on our own power to carry out this plan. Uh, see, God's already placed you where you live, work, and play, so you can do what we're talking about right here. And he's filled you with his Holy Spirit the moment you were saved. So you're not powerless to do what he talks about here. And he says, here's the plan, guys. I'm going to fill you with power, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to be my witnesses. And a witness simply says what he's seen and heard. These, these guys, these were the apostles. They'd seen him re- resurrected from the dead. And everyone who confesses Christ say that we believe he's alive, right? That he was resurrected from the dead. That he died for our sin. That everyone, every human being that's ever lived has sinned fallen short of God's glory and separated from him. doesn't matter what sin. Every sin separates us from God for eternity. Christ died to make that reconciliation possible. And God raised him from the dead to show us that it was true and powerful. And so he's asked you and I to simply be that witness. Now these guys, he, he tells them, they've got him in that huddle, said, I'm going to give you the power, and now here's the plan. I want you to go to Jerusalem. Now remember, this is just 40 plus days after his death is crucifixion well what's true about everybody in jerusalem they killed jesus and they hated these guys so he's saying you know put yourself there for a minute because this is important for us to grasp in this day and age of isis and all these things and the enemies and and terror he says here's my plan go to jerusalem where they hate you and want to kill you that sounds like a great plan doesn't go to go to the people that hate you okay that's jerusalem judea that that's the state around it go go there And here's the second thing. I want you to go to Samaria. Well, what was true about Samaria to those folks? If you you understand a little bit of Bible history, Samaritans were the people that the Jews hated. So so his plan, his great plan was go to the people that hate you. Now I want you to go to the people you hate and be a witness. Now, isn't that still true today? It is, isn't it? Because we're surrounded by enemies. There are people that even walking in Walmart... If you're here on Wednesday nights, you'll see uh, women come in in hijab because they're coming here to learn English in our church because we're, we're, we're a church that practices this plan. That's something to give God praise for. Now, it may feel, if, if you're here, it might make you 
feel a little strange to see somebody that you identify as an enemy walk into this church, doesn't it? But isn't that God's great plan? God demonstrated his great love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he, he has a great plan. Go to the people who hate you and be a witness to Jesus. Go to the people you hate. And then he said, go to the ends of the earth. The people you don't even, have never even heard of. And you know right here in Dallas-Fort Worth, there's peoples from all over the world that you never heard of. Have you ever heard of the Urdu people, the Gujarati people? I can go on with a long list of peoples we haven't heard of that God's now bringing to us. God's given us a simple plan for mission, a simple mandate for mission. That mandate is command. He said, you've been saved. You've been a witness in your own life of Jesus Christ's redeeming power, of how he gives you a new birth, makes you a new creature, and he wants you to be a witness to that, to those with whom you live, work, and play. And it doesn't matter if you hate them or they hate you or you've never even heard of them. He's empowered you with his Holy Spirit to be a witness to God's saving grace and power in Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great message? A great thing? And that, that is what this whole church is about. That's the way we bring glory to God, is in being witnesses to his son, Jesus Christ. And every church needs to organize itself around that mandate. And every church needs to have all three of these components that we do indeed go to our Jerusalem. That would be Murphy and Wiley and Saxe and our Judea, Collin County, Texas. And Samaria, which would probably be New York and California. Good, I got a joke that you got. (laughs) And to the very ends of the earth. Well, there's an interesting thing because, you know, how did that work out for the first church as he told them to go do that? You know, between chapter 1 and chapter 8, there's a lot of things that take place in the book of Acts. The church is growing. The church has some troubles because this group of widows don't think they're being treated as well as that. You know, the kinds of things that take place in churches, Murphy Road Baptist Church never has any arguments or divisions, do we? There's never any of that, oh, the young people get more than that. And I know that just doesn't take place. But it did in the first church, and and, and the apostles and the, uh, the ministers, they got busy dealing with all those kinds of things. But you know what you don't see happen? I mean, the last words Jesus said is, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. And we get to Acts chapter 8, and they haven't left Jerusalem yet. I've worked with 130 churches here plus in the county. And every church that gets ingrown and focused on the inside ends up not fulfilling its mandate, its command from God. And one of our great challenges is getting churches to execute the mission plan that God has given us. Be a living witness where you live, work, and play. Be a witness to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Jerusalem, Judea, and ends of the earth. To the people you hate, to the people who hate you, to people you haven't heard of. This church didn't leave Jerusalem. And we come to Acts chapter 8. <clears throat> I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. You can turn there if you have your Bible. What had just happened before this is Uh, Stephen, he was one of the first deacons of the church. He'd been stoned for being a witness to Jesus. He was doing what he was supposed to be doing there in Jerusalem, being a witness to Jesus Christ, and it got him killed. And it would be fair to tell you that Jesus doesn't promise being his witness is safe. 
In fact, it's not to be his witness. It's not a safe thing, but it's an obedient thing. And it's the right thing. And, and right as Stephen was stoned, his last vision on earth was he saw Jesus. And I'm convinced that the moment he saw Jesus, everything they were doing to this old shell we live in here suddenly didn't matter to him. There was a man standing there, and this is where we pick up Saul, who became Apostle Paul, who became a missionary to the ends of the earth. But says this right here, And Saul approved of their killing him. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And then verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. As missionaries, we like to say, if you will not do as a church, Acts 1-8, then God will Acts 8-1 you. <laughs> Did you see what happened in Acts 8-1? You got that, okay? And, and I see this truth. Over and over, every church split, every church division I've ever seen has been because the church has not been fulfilling its mission mandate. It got involved in doing things that seemed important to them at the time, and sometimes maybe even had been somewhat important, but not as important as a lost and dying world around you where girls and boys and men and women, if they perish without Christ, go to hell. It's not popular to say hell out loud anymore, I know that, but I... One preacher still believes hell is hot and it's for eternity and that God doesn't want anyone to perish and go there. And that he's given us a great mission and a great message of the love of Christ that will redeem them and save them from that place so they can be who God created them to be, his children to live forever with him and serve him. But this, this image here, oh, Stephen doing that and then this persecution came upon the church and it just... They were trying to kill it. And there's a, there's a great mission phrase. The seed of the church is the blood of the martyr. You see, God fulfilled his mission through the, this, the deaths and the hardships and things that came. Again, being a witness, God pretty much promises that's not going to be a safe thing. Now, being a witness in the United States in the 21st century is st- still a pretty safe thing, isn't it? Oh, people might ostracize you. They might think you're weird or or those kinds of things. You'll, you'll be that guy, that, that Bible thumper, those kind of things. But we don't see this much yet. But be aware, across the globe, we see it every day. I mentioned earlier, according to the Baker Christian Encyclopedia, 100,000 martyrs roughly a year. There's been more in the 20th century than all the centuries combined before of people who died for worshiping Jesus Christ. Now, this doesn't sound like a great motivational speech to say, now, now go be his witnesses today, Right? But God's got a plan. He wants to save every girl, boy, woman, and man. He wants them to repent and turn to him. And his great plan for them to know about Jesus is you and me. And he wants us to go and be that living witness. A living witness that that shares this good news and this love of Christ. There's something that God's doing today... Because when we, we look at Acts 1-8, and then Acts 8-1, I mean, the church didn't get out of Jerusalem, so he made the church get out of Jerusalem. 
Well, something else has been taking place in those intervening times since Acts to now. We are living in a phenomenal time right now. 65 million people are displaced from their homes worldwide. This is the greatest migration in human history. Did you know that was going on? Anybody, was anybody else aware of that? One, this, is, this is truth. 65 million girls, boys, men, and women displaced from their home. This is what we call a refugee, is somebody who has to leave their home out of fear of violence, death, or famine. On top of that 65 million, there's the economic uh, migrants. And, and it's in the news all the time, these people, the immigrants. You look at what's happening in Europe about immigrants. You look at what's happening here in our country. Um, just as a footnote, you know, <laughs> we just celebrated Christmas. Right after Christmas, guess what Jesus got to be? He got to be a refugee himself because Herod wanted to kill him and they had to run where? To Egypt. You know, so when we think about refugees, just remember our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was a refugee, so how would he want us to treat refugees? All the human politics aside about the... Once the refugees here, church, we've got to love them and be Jesus for them. And I, for one, am convinced that this great migration of human beings is because the church still hasn't done Acts 1-8. There are still places at the ends of the earth where they have not heard the name of Jesus Christ, not even once. There are places in the world, whole groups of people, as you heard in the International Mission Board video, where the name of Jesus, the Word of God, His love for them has never been declared. So you know what God is doing since we won't go? He's now bringing them to us. And wouldn't it be unconscionable if God himself brought a person from the ends of the earth and placed them next to you at work in a cubicle, placed them next door to you in your house, and they still didn't hear of the love and the wonder and the work of Jesus Christ? Shame on us if that could happen. Church, we need to respond with love, don't we? And with the witness, it's a you know war, economy, all sorts of reasons. But the real reason God is moving sixty-five million people is so they can meet Jesus Christ. If you doubt me, this is the last place we'll look in Acts this morning. Turn in your Bibles to Acts seventeen. Remember that guy Saul that approved of the stoning of Stephen and persecuted the church and ended up being an instrument, unknowingly, of God scattering the church so it could do what it said. That old rascal became the missionary Paul. And most of the rest of the Acts and most of the epistles of the New Testament were written by that guy. And here's what the Word of God says starting in Acts 17, verse 26. Uh, Paul is in Athens. Athens was an international city, much like Dallas-Fort Worth is now an international city. And this is just an excerpt from the sermon he gave there in their marketplace. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. 
Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Listen to this piece. From one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Did you catch that? Who is moving 65 million people? Who set their appointed times and boundaries where they would live, where they would move, what time in history? God himself. And not only is it true about those people he's moving, that's true about you as an individual, isn't it? God knew when you would live in this great timeline of history. He knew that you would live at the address you're living at at this very moment. He knew you would work at your workplace, that you would shop at at, at Walmart. He already knew that. And he has a great purpose for it. His great purpose is so that all his offspring, those that don't know him especially, when they would be moved to seek him, that they would find him. And what is his great plan and the great mandate to the church is when they reach out to find him, what does it mean that it's right at hand as he has placed a believer in Christ a hand's length away from an unbeliever? And if you're a believer here this morning, that means that God has a purpose for your life and where you work and what you do. Everything that he's given you is sacred to him so that those who seek God would find them in you. This is what it means to be a living witness to Jesus Christ, is to be available for those seekers. And they're all around us. And, and he's given us a, a lifestyle to live. And, you know, here across our county, we, we speak about being a living witness. And, and what that means is to be a witness that prays for people, that you pray for those that you're in contact with, praying that God would move them to seek him. And an incredible thing happens when you're a praying witness is God starts to give you those divine appointments. People will walk up to you. It it works exactly the way God says it will work, that they will seek him. And if you're praying, then you're available and you're in tune with him, and they will talk to you. Evangelism is never easier than when they walk up to you and start talking to you and asking you about God. And we see it in our ESL classes here. We've made ourselves available. We pray for those students. They come, they start asking questions because they've heard all sorts of lies and, and things about church and about Christians and about people, uh, especially evangelicals like us that believe the Bible. They, the world says we're um, homophobic jerks. And, and guess what happens when they find out we're not? That we are loving people who love God and, and love people and that we're praying for them already. And that we're caring is the second thing that we, we say it means to be a living witness is one who loves people, right? Who cares about the problems, who's there for them, who's, who's there when their dad has a catastrophic heart attack and they come knocking on your door in the middle of the afternoon or the middle of the night. Who's there caring and aware of their neighbors that live around them. Who at work when the, when the guy's in his 50s and 60s and they let him go that, that you're there to, to care for them. We know what it means to be a loving person. The greatest commandment, love the Lord our God with all your heart, soul, and strength. The second is like it, love your neighbor, right? That's a living witness. This isn't hard, is it? God empowers us to prayer, to care. And we do have to be ready to share, don't we? 
That's the third thing it means to be a living witness, is when they do ask us about God that we're able to share about who he is, what he's done for us, how Jesus Christ has forgiven us of our sins, how he's baptized us in his Holy Spirit, given us a new life, made us a new creature, given us new purpose. That's what it means to be that living, caring, sharing witness. God's command, his mandate, God's moving, bringing people from all over the world to us. And just a bit about this is, this isn't something we have to do alone either. One of the reasons we gather together as a church and then as an association and then as state convention and, and international work is, is that we're part of God's movement worldwide. This just happens to be a local address of God's worldwide church. Amen? He, he's given us this great plan and we connect and we collaborate and we engage in this work together. You, you see, Murphy Road... Murphy Church should really be a little C because the church is the church of Jesus Christ worldwide. We're part of something much bigger than what takes place here. And God's given us a part, and that's why we give and we go and we work together. Again, I want you to think about where your address is this morning as I draw this to a close. I'm speaking primarily to those who already believe in Jesus this morning because he has asked you to be his follower and to be his witness. He's empowered you with his Holy Spirit. He's placed you at your home address. He's placed you at his, your work address. And he is bringing people to you every day. He wants you to be a living witness where you live, where you work, and where you play. We speak about three things, and, and just reminders to help you to remember that. The marketplace, your neighborhood, and all the nations, the people groups that God's bringing you. As a family of churches here in Collin County, we've come up with a way of saying this, that, that our vision, what we want to see happen... And what we want to be able to say with integrity is that we indeed do live for the day when every girl, boy, woman, and man within our reach experiences a living witness to Jesus Christ. Every believer in this room is called to that vision. Amen? I hope you've heard from God's Word and from His Spirit that He's moved you this morning to make a New Year's resolution that this would be your goal this year. That every girl, boy, woman, and man within your reach would experience you as a living witness. A person who prays for, that, prays for them. A person who loves them, cares for them. And a person who will share the name of Jesus with them. Would you make that your New Year's resolution this morning? We're going to have an invitation in just a minute. And I'd invite you to even be so bold as to, to make a physical movement to make that your resolution, to come and pray here at the altar. In every service, I also want to speak to anyone who has not placed your trust in the direction of your life in the hands of Jesus Christ. You've heard the gospel this morning, morning stated a few different ways. But the long and short of it is every one of us has sinned has done wrong things that separate us from God. 
And the only way to be reconciled with God is to trust in his son, Jesus Christ, and his death, which paid for your sin, and his resurrection, which shows you that it's true and that he has the power to forgive you and give you new life. If that's you, I'd invite you to come and pray with me this morning. To be saved simply means this, to give control of your life to Jesus Christ, to confess him as the, as the Christ, as the Lord of your life, to believe in him as the words that we use in Scripture. Would you do that this morning? Let me pray for us. Would everyone stand if you're able? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love and care and compassion. We give you this time of decision to come just as we are, sinners without one plea. Come as God leads. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.